Little did you know you are strong, smart, insightful, beautiful, hilarious, loyal, and loved. The podcast you need to navigate your 20s. Little did you know with Shelby Eastwood. great week it's been so long oh my god I can't even get it I can't even get started on the drama that is my class and the school year but let's just put a pin in that for now (laughs) um maybe when I retire I can tell all my stories that might that might work better um at least the weather's getting nice so like I can take the kids outside and take a break you know Something I don't understand is, like, how people think teaching is so easy. Or they're just like, you do nothing all day. You just sit at a desk all day. Like, bro, no, no, <laughs> no. It's it's actually crazy. Um, uh, but I'm really glad summer's coming. And just, I had a really fun trip, actually, recently. I went to a winery for the first time, which was super fun. Um, I hit We hit, like, four, three or four wineries in the Niagara region and that was so fun um my good one of my good friends who are actually colleagues and um we went together because he's part of like a wine club so that was super fun and we had like fancy pants cheese and I just felt you know that feeling when like you're like I do not belong here I'm not fancy enough for this that's how I felt (laughs) but it was great it was so good and like they were talking about like different kinds of wines and stuff and I was just like and like how it tastes oaky or it tastes like fruity or tastes like you taste a hint of spice or whatever and I'm just like yeah this tastes good I like it (laughs) um and I was like yeah oh yeah I can I can taste the difference between this red and this red can I taste the difference no fucking way (laughs) but it was it was good anyway um it was so fun I would love to go again like super super fun Ooh, no be fun I want do they have wineries in Nashville I wonder we need to get on this. Who knows if they have wineries in Nashville. That would be like the best bachelorette party. Would go to wineries in Nashville. But I don't know if they have any. So we need to get on that and find that out. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was fun. Um, I got my hair done, which was always fun. You always feel like so good. And um, the girl took my extensions out. And it's been like, it's been a hot minute. Probably since Christmas. Yeah, since about Christmas that I've had um, these, my old extensions in. And so she took them out and... Uh, when I was at the salon, they, the girl was, like, massaging my scalp, and I was like, this feels so good, because I don't know if people who have extensions or not, but um, depending on what ones you have, obviously you can't, like, massage your scalp to death, because it'll either pull them, or it'll take them out, um, or, like, they'll just get knotted, um, and so it was really nice to just kind of have, like, a head massage. I was like, keep doing this. It feels so good. Not in the sexual way, just literally, like, relaxing, most relaxing way. Um, but yeah, so that's, those were some fun adventures. Uh, I got a B in my clinical psychology course in case anybody wants to know that. The average was a C plus, so I will take a B. I will absolutely take a B. And I'm starting my next course now, uh, intro to psych two, which I already took, like intro to psych, literally first year university. That was, oh my God, 10 years ago I finished first year university. What the, or I was in first year university. Wow, what the heck? 
Oh, wow. So, yeah, I've already taken intro to psych, so this is kind of like an easy one, which is good because it's like a rapid-fire course. So, like, courses that are normally 12 weeks long, um, this was, this one is actually in six weeks. So there's two lectures a week um, and uh, quizzes and tests and all that stuff and an assignment. So it started um, last week, and it finishes mid-June. So that'll be crazy busy, you know, with report cards and everything. But I'm hoping to get this whole uh, – my whole mental health certificate done by this, like, next summer. So – that's the goal. And uh, yeah, I'm super excited about this guest though, because uh, she is super vulnerable in this, in our, in our little talk today. Um, I've never, obviously I've never been um, adopted, but she does talk about adoption and she talks about um, finding her, her birth mom and stuff um, and how different it is in the States. We're really lucky here in Canada that, uh, I think the laws here are different. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I'm really excited to hear, like, her story and how that works because family dynamics are actually crazy. Like, my family's nuts. <laughs> and sometimes the best people in your life might not be your blood family, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think that that's just something to keep in mind as we have this conversation. And I'm really excited. So she's in the waiting room, so let's go get her on. Hi, Joy. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks for thinking the topic was enough and, and interesting enough to bring me on. I really appreciate it. Aww. Um, where are you located anyway? I am in New Jersey, although I know people usually say I have a southern accent, but I, I am in New Jersey. I was going to say I hear some kind of accent. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> It's a southern, a little southern twang, if you will. It is, it is. Are you from New Jersey or are you from down south? I'm from New Jersey. Oh. I, my, my adopted mother is from the south. My father, my adopted father is from Pennsylvania. Um, so I, I think it was just growing, growing up hearing people talk with a southern accent. And then, <laughs> I don't know. It's stuck. <laughs> it's stuck with me. That's too <laughs> thing, What I did learn is that my biological family is from Virginia. Ooh. So a lot of this, so I said, okay, they went to school in Virginia. They, they did a lot of family in North Carolina, South Carolina. So it's in me somewhere. True. I was going to say, I don't, I've never been to Virginia, so I don't know if they have an accent, but South Carolina, yeah, yeah they would definitely have an accent. Yeah, sure. they have an accent. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear my so Canadian? Somehow it sticks with me and, and that's the first thing people say, where are you from? And then I say New Jersey. And then they say, well, no, really, where are you from? <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> I'm from Jersey. Uh, yep. That's too funny. Can you hear my Canadian accent come out a little bit? Just a little bit. I don't know if you're masking it for me. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, glad it's not that prominent then. <laughs> um, but I want to hear everything. I want to hear your story. I know my listeners want to hear your story. So tell me who you are, what you do, and what motivated you to do what you do today. Yeah, my name is Joy Fisher Griffin. I am an educator. I'm an adoption advocate, and I'm an author. Um, and right now, I, adoption, I've known I was adopted since I was, since the age of, I'd say about four or five, I always knew before I went off to kindergarten. Oh, wow. And I, I just remember my mother, books were always big in our household. So she would read a book at night. And then there were times when we would talk about how I came into their life and that my biological mother wasn't able to take care of me and that she was looking for a family to take care of me. And that's how I came into their life. So it was always a positive spin as much as she could um 
but and and although I knew at that again before I got to kindergarten, it just wasn't a topic that we talked about yeah. at home. It wasn't a comfortable topic unless, as I became a preteen and teenager, unless we really talked about um, what was in the news mm-hmm. regarding the legislation in our state changing. And so that's really what got me here today. The, the legislation in our state changed, which opened previously sealed birth records in our particular state. Every state in the United States has their own rules about what's open and what's closed. Mm-hmm. And what that meant was uh, as having closed records was that being born, I was given a, a, some people say a fake birth certificate or a modified birth certificate, yeah. whatever word you want to use and amended. Um, but it, it only had my uh, name as, a, as I was adopted and then my adopted parents' name, my birth date, the city and state I was born, my birth weight and my birth height. Now, most people have a lot more information on their long birth certificate than that, uh, but that's what our adoption, our, our birth records were limited to. Um, and so the legislation in our state, and those, our records were sealed in the state of New Jersey from 1940 to 2015. Oh, wow. So recently that, um, within five, five years, because now I'm on my fifth anniversary, Five years ago, the laws changed and were actually implemented that allowed us to be able, as adoptees, to be able to apply for our original birth certificate. So that's something that I did along the way. And uh, I was able to eventually apply, get that information, and get connected with my biological mother and father. And how did that go? I always say, in Canada, you all watch Lifetime, right? You're familiar with the Lifetime, right? So it was like a Lifetime movie. And and I said, that's the part that's exciting and catches people's attention because I met my birth mother, who happened to be a preacher at a church. I met her before her church as she gave her testimony to tell them about her life before I came into her life. And then they had no idea that she was going to introduce me to her congregation. Wow. So it, it happened to be Black History Month. Uh, I was there as a visitor with my adoptive parents as well. And she introduced me to her church and told her story. And wow. then introduced my adoptive parents to her church and told the, the story and just thanked them for uh, raising me you know, mm-hmm. over time. And that was just five years ago. Wow. Uh, a month after that, I met my birth father at my adopted father's house, and my oldest daughter planned a family game night. So we spent the evening playing games and uh, getting to know each other uh, along the way with all that stuff. So I said it's kind of, um, kind of, kind of uh, theatrical. And then <laughs> two weeks after that, they come up. My adopted father and I sing. They come to see us sing in a rock and roll soul review. So bringing everybody together, not really having a clue of what their relationships were like in the past, um, but inviting them to a concert that I was singing in along with my adoptive father. I said, you, you, this is made for television. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. Was the, did you end, like, were you able to find out why? Yeah, they were in college. They were in college. And um, what I always have to remind myself as I've struggled with the journey Mm -hmm. over the years is that in 19, I was born in the 70s. So in the 70s, an unwed pregnant woman, that was a no-no. That yeah. brought shame. That brought embarrassment to the family. So uh, over year, over the years, I always thought, 
and and we go back and forth with using instead of saying the words given up for adoption we use the word relinquish for adoption so i've always thought that because my birth mother relinquished me for adoption that she must not have loved me yeah. she may, she, there's no way she could have cared about me how could a mother do that mm -hmm. to her child and what i've learned over these past five years after being around other birth parents and birth fathers is that it was really the opposite of that it was it was it was a difficult time for her it was a difficult time you know dealing with the shame and the embarrassment of again just being pregnant and being unmarried and now, um, now you're, you're relinquishing your child and yeah. what that does to a birth mother. And for years, I always interpreted as being unlovable, that I was unlovable, mm -hmm. that I wasn't enough. So if, if she didn't stay with me, then, you know, who yeah. else is going to love me yeah. if my birth mother didn't love me? So when you talk about relationships on your podcast, I'm like, this is definitely something that I struggle with. <laughs> That's something that I struggle with in my 20s and something yeah. that I struggle with growing up as, as an adult, even dating after divorce, mm -hmm. because I just didn't think I, think that I was enough. Mm -hmm. Everybody would say, well, Joy, you're a model because I modeled professionally throughout college. You're a model. How could you not think that you were enough? Because I didn't. My yeah. self-esteem was so low. It didn't matter what the outside looked like to the world. To me, it was something that I struggled with. If she didn't stay with me and she didn't keep me, how could I trust that anybody else was going to do that? So I, I, things that I struggle with over time, but what happened prior to meeting my birth parents, I happened to meet the group of advocates who fought for the laws, fought for the laws to change in our state. And when I met them and they sat around and talked about um, feeling unlovable, feeling that they weren't worthy, mm -hmm. feeling that they had low self-esteem, feeling different from the rest of their family. I was 46 then. That was a aha moment like, oh, this yeah. is adoption issues. And some people say, well, it's not just adoption issues. These are issues that adoptees do have. Now, yeah. are there other groups of people that have these issues? Absolutely. But these are some things that adoptees you will hear commonly say that they, they struggle with. Mm -hmm. Are they lovable? Issues with identity, fears of abandonment, yep. and how it has impacted my relationship. So, you know, just being afraid that if I knew I was in an unhealthy relationship, if I let that person go was somebody was I good enough for somebody else to come along mm -hmm. um, so struggling with all those pieces but finally getting to meet the advocates who had been talking about this for years and that's the other thing with adoption we don't talk about this yeah stuff. so if we don't talk about it and normalize the conversation how can people have these this was my first time at 46 talking about my adoption journey and things that i felt wow and here there i was there with folks who had been talking they talked about it like it was a regular conversation i cried the entire time they spoke and it, it was just so overwhelming because it was such an aha moment but they told their stories with peace they told their stories with grace they told horrific stories as if it was just normal conversation i said i have to figure out who they are how they got to this place of peace and how is that going to help me as I'm going through this journey? And then who can I then help? Because I've, yeah. I've had this experience. And what if I had this experience when I was younger, would I have struggled in all those relationships? Would I have stayed in a relationship for so long and not left because I was afraid of being by myself? Mm -hmm. um, so there's just so many things that, that I think, um, 20 something struggle with. And, and even those of us who are older often struggle with, but we struggle in silence. Mm -hmm. And so with that too, I learned that 
a lot of the folks who were a part of that adoption group were also folks who went to counseling. But that's, again, something we don't talk about. Yeah, yeah. So here we are. Um, I'm thinking I'm hearing all this stuff is resonating with me as the other adoptees and adoptive and birth parents are talking about their stories and their struggles. And I'm finally realizing I'm normal. I'm not weird. I'm not quirky. I just have some things that I need to work through. And if I can get to the place where they are to be able to comfortably talk about this and talk about my struggles and own it and be honest about it, man, that's going to, I can't wait to see what I'm going to be like on the outside or once I get to the other side of all this. hundred percent. After that, it was really important for me to double back and figure out how do I share what I've experienced by just telling my story and how how much that has brought a sense of healing to me so that it can then help somebody else. So that's kind of where, how I've got to this place is um, through my journey of finding my uh, biological parents, but also the bigger part for me has been finding that group, that community mm-hmm. of, of adoptees, adopted parents and birth parents to hear their journeys and to hear how um, how counseling has and support groups. Who knew I'd be going into a support? <laughs> My name is Joy, and I'm an adoptee. <laughs> that's exactly what we do, and we pour you pour your heart out, share your story as much as you like, and then if you you get uncomfortable, you, you can stop. In our support groups, we after we finish, they'll ask you, "Are you open to questions?" Or it could be that you just needed to get it off your heart. Yeah, um, I'm learning how powerful that is. And again, something we need to normalize because we don't talk about it. You for know, sure. What say, counseling is for crazy people. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to get that that idea and stigma out of people's yeah, heads. So all the stigmas that go yeah, along with For sure. Would that be the advice you give to those who have fears of abandonment, whether it's caused from like romantic relationships, friendships, family, family issues? Like, would that be the advice you you give to people is like, go find somebody to talk to and normalize that conversation? Or would you give another piece of advice too? I I would definitely give that piece of advice, but be careful who you go find. True. True. I work at a high school and I always tell my, my students, especially my girls, don't go to your girlfriend who's just struggling herself and think she's going to give you some good advice. <laughs> and and don't go, you know, don't go say, okay, I'm, they would say, Miss Fisher Griffin, I'm going to go to counseling. Well, that's great. Okay. And you go to counseling for months, months. It just didn't work. Well, okay, let's back up. Are you telling the truth when you go to counseling? Just, just remember the counseling, there's nothing you can say that a counselor has not heard before. Yep. So step outside of, yourself in that moment and don't worry about being judged yeah jump in and say what you need to say and tell that counselor what you're trying to figure out and that was one of the things and it's actually my therapist that was the one who told me I need to write a book he said you came in here in your first session and I said Dr. B I need some help I don't know what's going on my thinking is off my my decision making is off I need some help and when I say putting in the work, going in, being honest. If you yep. gave me something to think about afterwards, actually going and thinking about it, not putting it off till the next session and realizing that you do, you are going to take baby steps a long way. But if you're lying and not telling the truth, mm-hmm. how are you going to be healed? How are you going to be healed? How are you going to get to that place of, of, of peace for yourself? If that's what you really want, you have to do some work too. And, and sometimes the counselor just might not be the right counselor for yes. you. Yes. 
Yeah, sometimes so sometimes okay. you have to go through a couple. Yeah. Yep, be okay. Say, yeah. okay, you know, this person isn't really drawing out the best in me and I don't feel so comfortable. Okay, maybe I can try somebody else. Not that counseling doesn't work, but maybe you need a new counselor. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> but are you doing the work beforehand to, before you even give up on that? I like how you mentioned don't lie when you're talking to the, to the counselor or the therapist because, like, I, I never thought of it that way, but, like, you're right. If you're not authentic when you're there – you're doing a disservice to yourself, to them. Like it's just, it's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I have three daughters, and and before I used to hide that I was going to counseling, and I, I laughed because a couple of a, one of my daughters and I worked in actually two of my daughters. We worked in the same building, <laughs> and um, and I would say. I would run into them as I'm leaving the building. I'd say, oh, I'm going to the hairdresser. And that was our code word for uh, going to, to counseling. And so I realized I had gone to the hairdresser on a couple of different occasions in one week. I said, and here I am coming to work with my hair pulled back into a ponytail. My daughter said, don't you realize they're going to figure out that you have not gone to the hairdresser? <laughs> I said, you know, you're right. She said, mommy. We're going for help, and it's a good thing, so let's not be embarrassed about it. And th- that was my oldest daughter telling me that. What do you say? Except for, you're right. Yeah. If, I'm, if, if, if it's helping me, and, it's, and I see it helping my daughters, um, I, I, we just have to stop being afraid about it. And so since then, I, I've openly talked about it. I openly talked to my students about going to counseling mm-hmm. and how that benefited me, how it's benefited my daughters. But that I, too, also started with this stigma of, okay, well, I got to say hairdresser, because if I say I'm going to the counselor, they're going to be asking me questions. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you, you pick and choose what you open yourself up to, but getting there and realizing and just reminding myself that um, nothing I say is going to be new to a counselor. Yeah. No matter how crazy I may think it is, um, they've heard worse. And, and who cares what they think Think about me in a the moment? They're, they're there to help me. That's exactly. their area of expertise. So that, that's one big piece for me. Something that I struggled with myself, like um, in my early 20s, I was kicked out of my parents' house and slept in the back seat of my 97 Honda Civic in the middle of February. And in Canada, like it's cold in February. Um, okay. So like those have kind of triggered my own abandonment issues and sometimes I've noticed that that leads to self-sabotaging in past relationships and current relationships sometimes so how would you recommend navigating that with having gone through those that feeling as well the best thing that you just said is that you realize you were self-sabotaging I do. I, <laughs> I do. I, I, I was leaving. I was in a 20-year relationship, 20 20-year marriage and, you know, and, and my in my late 40s entering the dating world. Who's <laughs> thinking about that? <laughs> when you all are doing everything online and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm like, "What? What do you mean you just don't go on a date? Oh, you have to go for coffee first." So, no, just trying to figure out and navigate all those um those pieces have been tough. What was your original question? Because I, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> how, how, do, how would you help, like, others navigate that whole self-sabotaging oh, thing self-sabotaging. due, due to their fear of abandonment? abandonment. Yeah. And, and, I, I, and I was mentioning leaving a previous marriage mm-hmm. because, again, still dealing with those feelings of feeling unlovable, feeling not feeling that I was worthy. Um, going into a relationship with 
and I did go ahead and do the online dating. My, uh, the guy that I was dating at the time was very kind. He was very nice and I wasn't used to that. Yeah. So I began to think, okay, so when is his crazy switch going to be flipped <laughs> and when am I going to the other side? And so I struggled with believing what I was seeing. And so I'm going, okay, this isn't, this isn't real. This isn't really him. Let just either, when is he going to leave? When is yeah. he going to realize there's somebody cuter than I am? There's somebody maybe you know, that he wants to be within it. That's closer to where he, I was coming up with all these narratives yep. of why I was not good enough. Hi, I, my name is Shelby. I do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you can relate and see, it doesn't matter what age we're talking about. Yep. It's something that, but we struggle with it in silence mm-hmm. because we don't talk about it to anybody. Um, and for me, it was my daughter who told me my middle daughter, Tracy, she actually told me that she loved the guy that I was dating and she could see me sabotaging my relationship, questioning everything that he did. And that if I didn't begin to um, acknowledge that maybe he doesn't have a crazy switch, maybe he's gonna, maybe this is who he is. And if I didn't believe him and begin to trust him and be myself around him, then I could lose out on a good person. Um, so having people around who will Tell, tell it like it is true um, and tell you what they see and tell you what they see in you when you're around that other person um and the other thing is beginning to trust yourself mm. uh, because we, we've been in relationships over time and that's fine but what did you learn from each one of those what did you learn that you liked what did you that you learned that you didn't like what is it that you won't repeat again yeah and and for me i wasn't giving myself for that much credit for being able to pick the right one so I would always say no I need you all to check them out I need this group of friends to check them I need this group of people at work to check them out because I don't think I'll pick the right one again so I was sabotaging myself because anybody that came along I'm like ah, you know I don't I feel like it's the right one but is this the old me thought or is it yeah. the new me thought am I going down the same lane picking the wrong kind of person and so, again, there you are again, sabotaging mm-hmm. anything that, that comes your way. Uh, but then I realized, and the therapist actually said this, he said, you've learned so much in the mistakes in that relationship over time that there are certain things that you've matured enough, and you have to go with your maturity as well over True. time, that you're not going to accept certain things. Yeah. There's certain things that have now become non-negotiables that may have been things that you kind of let people get away with before. He says, so trust yourself in that nature, trust yourself to, and, and be attentive. He said, listen to what's said, listen to what's not said. I have a cousin who actually is a dating coach too. And she said, and again, doing this whole online dating mess. Uh, she said, when you go in and read a profile, she said, take your time. She said, read what's there, but read what's not there. Read what's in between the lines and be honest with yourself in terms of figuring out what is it that you want. If you don't want somebody who has children or you don't want somebody who wants children, be okay saying that. Um, Be honest with yourself in your profile as well in terms of, and be when you want to click or check and then all of a sudden a person may have, for instance, smoking and I don't want someone who is smoking or their religion and it was different than mine and that's not something that I was interested in. What are your non-negotiables? And when you can stick to kind of some of those things and realize that you are worthy of having whatever it is and whatever encompasses that person um, that you're looking for, that that's not you being picky. 
that's not you. It's, it's you just setting some standards and some boundaries of, um, you know, I don't believe in 50,000 list of he must be six foot two, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but if you don't want a short person, it's okay to say that too. But don't limit yourself so much. That, oh, um, for sure. I used to say that all the time because I'm 5'11", so I'm very tall for a for yeah. a girl, and my boyfriend's 5'6". And I always okay, said, okay. I, I was always like, no, he's got to be over six feet tall, like this and that. <laughs> and then that was one of the things because we met online as well. And one of the first things, and I was like, I, w- I was talking to my friends and I was like, yeah, the thing is, like, he's shorter than I am. And they're like, it could not be a big deal, though. Like, this and that. Right. Just go meet him. And we've been together almost two years now. So, like, you're right. See? Like, you have you can have that idea, but don't limit yourself just on that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He would not have been on your checklist because he wouldn't have felt. Exactly. Like <laughs> Therefore, you may not have ever come. Exactly. And, and as a tall girl myself, I know how you feel about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And like, as my daughters, I watch my daughters who are all in their 20-somethings date. I, I just look at them. I said, you know, some, some, and I have a nephew, some shorter guys like tall women. It's okay. And like and when you're sitting down. If you wear your heels. Yeah. And when you're sitting down or lying down, you're the same height anyway. So Exactly. It all balances out. <laughs> exactly. Um, what was the best advice you've ever received? Whether it be like friendship advice, family advice, romantic advice, like life advice. There's a few things. Um, I want all one, of it. going through even this adoption journey and family connections and thing is that is this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And I, I always want to know what's going to happen at the end. How is this supposed to play out? And sometimes you get in your own way. You're making decisions when maybe you should be taking time and pausing on mm-hmm. things. So I realize that I just have to go with the flow and go with where I feel that I'm being led to go. Um, I always ask my girls, who's your five around you? So who's the five people that you keep around you? Mm. And then a student said, well, Miss Fisher, I don't have five. I said, okay, it could be three. I don't care how many, but do, do the people around you inspire you? Mm. Do the people around you challenge you? Or are you just surrounded with yes people? So I, I think it's important to make sure you have some people in your corner who, who are not a whole bunch of negative Nellies. I'm not talking about that, <laughs> but uh, but people who are going to challenge your thinking, mm-hmm. people who are going to push you towards excellence and, and your best self. Um, find time for you. Um, counseling is important. Uh, go in and be honest. That's a big <laughs> one that I talk about. Uh, and, and overall for me, and I use this when I autograph books, is finding joy is possible. You, you may have lots of hills and valleys and a lot of, of struggles of, of good things and bad things. Figure out what the lesson is. Yeah. You know, failure is, is okay because you learn something through failure that's going to help you improve for the next time. It's true. It's true. What, what, what grade do you teach? I'm actually an assistant principal in high school. Oh, awesome. I teach, I teach grade at grade seven, so. Oh yes, very hormonal middle school. Uh, now is that middle school in Canada? Sometimes uh, I sometimes we have middle school. Sometimes it's part of the elementary school. Sometimes there's seven and eights are actually part of the high school. So it's just yeah, it depends yeah. where you are. Um, but yeah, I'm ours is yeah, too. I'm in a I'm in a middle school though, just grade seven and eight, and so. Um, they're like at that age and so you're talking about like your students i was like oh you're the first other like education person i've talked to this is cool oh yeah (laughs) very cool and and our kids are having some challenges now that we're even with relationships for them oh yeah Um, whether it's friendships Mm -hmm. or whether it's in their minds of their romantic relationships (laughs) and the breaking up and getting it's 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 fun to watch but sometimes it's tough to watch because i think they're the only people who have ever gone through it oh yeah 
And I'm like, sometimes I'm just like, you're 12. Like, when I was 12, right. I just played, I just watched Lizzie McGuire all day. Like, right. <laughs> I, I was not dating boys when I was 12. <laughs> right, right. It's funny. And, then, and I was just sharing this with someone else and going through the pandemic and watching how kids have um, come back together. And I was just sharing with my dad. I said, it's interesting to watch their, them in relationships. Oh, yeah. Their friendships are very, very tight. They move in large. I don't know if you see this in Canada, but in our cafeterias, when the group is together, usually you see a couple kids get up here and there. They move in packs. <laughs> a whole table, a whole table of kids will get up to go outside, and they're walking around. And I'm like, wow, this is just different. That's so funny. I'm, I'm waiting to read some research on what's going on with our young people in relationships. We're actually not allowed to use cafeterias here yet because the the pandemic still. So everyone just kind of eats in their classrooms, and we're not allowed to congregate and stuff. So. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we're moving about the building. I think in uh, about a month, I. There's some changes toward, towards our legislation with uh, mask wearing. So we're waiting to hear mm. what that's going to bring. Interesting. Um, yeah, no, like, yeah, we still have to wear all of our stuff, too. And, like, recesses are all, like, cohorted times and everything. There's still kind of – there's no rotary classes. Like, oh, so, wow. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're a bit ahead. We, we've been in, in our cafeterias and in our buildings since September. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we not us. We were out for uh, just – Around Thanksgiving, it really got bad. So between December, uh, Christmas, yep. and uh, the end of January, a lot of schools had closed. Yeah, ours were closed till ours were closed from Christmas break till the second week of January, and then we went back to. So yeah. I think we I think we followed that part for the most part. It's just all the other like little mandates and stuff that are different. Mm-hmm. I think between you guys and us. <laughs> mm. Tell me about your book, though. I want to know more about it. Yeah, I, I actually wrote um, Finding Joy, A True Story of Faith, Family, and Love. And as I mentioned a, a, little, a few minutes ago, it was something that my therapist suggested mm-hmm. that I write. And it turns out that my divorce lawyer suggested that I write. Um, <laughs> when I went in for both, you know, and then when I went in for my therapy appointments, starting off, I guess he had never heard anybody start off. I'm here because I need help. And, you know, <laughs> this is what I'm ready to do to work. And so as I began to go through different sessions over the periods of months going into years, he said, you know, you really need to write about your journey. You really need to write about how you got to, how you just came in here with this thought that you needed help. And then yeah. how you, what kind of work you did on yourself over time um, to, to get to the place that you are now. And then the same thing when I went to go meet with my divorce attorney and I just played for her some of the things that had happened Mm -hmm. and some voice messages that I had. And she said, you know, you're sitting here telling me this story as if it's not a traumatic one. She said, I would be bent over crying my eyes out. And here you are just talking as if it's a normal story. She said, I think you should write a bit about your journey because it would help some women who've struggled and then have also struggled when coming out of a such a, a challenging relationship mm-hmm. to to uh, start working on yourself again and yeah. be comfortable enough to start dating and start going out. Yeah. So the book includes a little bit of all that. I also include a chapter or two in there about uh, educators and all the things they don't teach us in school for education that we have to deal with as educators. True. <laughs> I write about the funny things my daughters have done. Um, again, that parents don't often talk yep. about, but over the years, I've always been a journaler and I always encourage people to write too. 
Uh, and my book is just a compilation of all that journal writing going back from high school through wow. actually through my adult life. Wow. And putting those pieces together, working with a great book coach who helped me fill in the gap. So she said, oh, you didn't write about a lot about your middle school experience. So I wrote some stories from there and putting those pieces together. And then the, the big piece ended up being the adoption piece. Mm-hmm. And we knew that while writing this book, which was for a different purpose in the beginning, just sharing my healing process through my experiences, it turns into a book more about my adoption journey because that was happening as I was yeah. writing. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Did you publish it yourself or did you uh, did a publish? Yeah, self publish nice. and then just this past summer I published uh Choosing Joy, a an adoptee's journey and finding belonging. I think belonging and finding our place is something that we struggle with mm-hmm. as adoptees. So that's a children's book. Mm-hmm. And then the other children's book is Singing with Joy, a true um a choose uh there's lots of different ways to be a family. Uh one thing I found out when I did meet my birth mother in church when she presented me to herself and to her congregation just before that she sang a solo and my adoptive father leaned and we were on opposite so she's singing in the front my adoptive father leans and says you know that's where you get your voice from and I'm like wow and so I was just taking every moment of so singing is a big part of my both my birth family and my adoptive family that's so cool so I wanted to tie that piece in and, and, and really, that book is about sharing with young people that there's lots of different ways mm-hmm. to be a family. Everybody's family does not look the same just because yours look different. If you yep. have two moms, if you have two dads, if you have a black mom and a white dad, it doesn't matter. Yeah. There's lots of different ways to be a family. It is what it is. This is the world we live in. So let's accept it. Is that is that the book behind you? Um. The, the- now that I look at that, it's not even up there. No? Oh, no, because I just gave it away, the one that I had up here with. Is, this, there's uh, one, it's one here, Choosing Joy, oh. is the one about just introducing um, introducing the word adoption, really to mm. educators as well. I was going to say, I was going to say those, both of those, like the two children's ones you were just talking about, those would be great additions to like my classroom library. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because like that's there's like a conversation starter, right? And sometimes it's yeah, sometimes and, and I notice it. it's hard for educators to kind of get into that, especially if they haven't experienced stuff like that themselves. But I know I have a couple students, um, or I used to have a couple students who like were in foster care and stuff like that. So like, like those that that's a way to get into that conversation without it being too daunting for them too. Um, right. So like, I just saw that and I was like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. All the books are on Amazon. Yeah. And what I awesome. did because as an educator, you know, we're always thinking, what vocabulary words would you oh, use? Yeah. What what terms? What? Um, so I created a, some lesson plans that go along with them. Oh, awesome! In the back of the book, I have um, adoption sensitive yeah. um, definitions of of terms. Uh, because one often misuses when people talk about the birth mom or the biological mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we say real, you True. know, well, that's yep. your real mom. Well, can you define real for yeah. me, you know, when you're talking to an adoptee? So being sensitive to that as well. That's um, and just really introducing the word adoption and explaining what it means. That's and then book the singing with joy, the one I don't have up there, um, just builds on the first story so so I, far those two. i need those in my classroom <laughs> okay, okay. i'm gonna order them because i need them in my classroom what was the yeah. feedback like after you released all of your books 
the la- the two children's books are actually released during the pandemic, during Ooh, the midst wow. of the pandemic. And then um, Finding Joy came out in 2019, just mm-hmm. before the pandemic. So a lot of my gigs and speaking things, I-, I had a good year of speaking and going out and talking about adoption. And then, you know, we come to this halt. Uh, so now I'm really, I, and, and we've learned to pivot and mm-hmm. that's where we are with podcasting and things of that nature. So we're able to touch so many more people. hundred yeah, so, percent. And on the website too, you'll be able to see that there's, um, I, again, we love music. So we created yeah. some little videos. We, they all have the lyric sheets. I have coloring sheets, just things that are, will mm-hmm. be extras for educators to use in the classroom or for families to use with, with their, their children that's as well. That's so awesome. Um, something I like to ask all my guests before, uh, we wrap up is if you could go back and tell 20 year old joy, anything, what would you tell her and why? Ooh, what would I tell her? You're lovable. You are worthy. You feel different in your adoptive family because you are different and it's okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you're any better or any worse than any, anyone else in the family. You feel different because you are different and enjoy the journey and and just keep you know keep working on yourself i love that i love that that's so cute and like it's it's important for everybody to think about and 20 year old joy i think would appreciate would have appreciated that as well (laughs) but i don't i don't want to go back to my 20s not in these days when you all have all this this evidence you leave on social media and videos true true (laughs) that's fair very very well played (laughs) but Um, no definitely advice about just um finding ways to to develop yourself and 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 get to know get to know the good that's within you that that was within me at that age Mm -hmm. that i thought were flaws and that are just different yeah they're different they're unique it's okay somebody will love you um you are good enough you are lovable Mm -hmm. that's awesome i love that um where can my listeners find you websites social media anything amazon obviously Where else? On Amazon, yeah, on Amazon, um, Joy R. Fisher Griffin. On my website is findingjoy.us. And on the Finding Joy page to some of the links that we didn't really go in today that talk about the legislation and things of that nature, mm-hmm. if you go down to the bottom of the website, you'll see a, a link. It says actually links, and it gives you some other resources for adoptive and foster families. Awesome. And on social media, I'm at Finding Joy Renee, and that's Joy with an I. Awesome. That's that's great. Um, and I'm sure everyone's going to check out your stuff. I'm going to order your books for my classroom because I think that's okay. amazing. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate you taking your time to chat with me and share your story and being so vulnerable about it and just keeping that positive mindset because I know that you've learned and grown a lot, in the, especially the last five years too. Um, so I really yeah. appreciate you sharing that with us. So. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed it. Of course. And we'll we'll keep in touch. I'll shoot you a follow on, on social media too. So. Okay. All right. Thank you, Joy. Oh my gosh. She wrote a children's book. She wrote a few children's books. And how do I not have these in my classroom right now? I need to get on that ASAP because I always find it super hard to talk about things that like you might, it might not have directly happened to you. You know what I mean? So like having those hard conversations of books are a really great way to kind of 
introduce that talk that you know what I mean and so that could be actually a really good way for my classroom and I'm really excited to get those so you all should get those too whether it's you are a teacher or whether you have small children or maybe you have like nieces or nephews it's a just it's a good com- it's a good way to get the conversation going you know what I mean um, but she's so sweet oh, I'm, I love her so much um, sometimes it's it's cool that you meet during during these these conversations and chats and stuff so Moral of the story is don't limit yourself. Believe in yourself, right? Believe in in what's important to you because what's important to you will come to you. What you deserve will come to you. Um, what you've earned will come to you. So just don't limit yourself. Hey, that's a good episode name for this episode. Don't limit yourself. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, don't limit yourself, guys. Be open to, to po- new possibilities, new adventures, new things, new people uh, new, everything really. (laughs) Oh man. Uh, well that's it guys. (laughs) We'll chat next week.